Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 20. I'm finishing a second part to a two-part, recovering your birthright. There's a spiritual birthright God has for every son and daughter of his. And it awaits recovery because the iniquity of sin and the enemy, as would be spoken, your father, the devil, well, nobody wants the father of the devil, but... There has been a stealing of that which God granted in the Garden of Eden. We know that. And in so doing, we acknowledge that there is a recovery. We can recover this. It's possible. So Exodus chapter 20 and in verse 5. The last part. We're going to read the last part of verse 5. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And uh, thank you, Becky. She prayed over the message this morning already. I, d- I couldn't add to that. So we just received that. I want to just highlight something before I go into the last part of what I think is important when it comes to dealing with this area of victory that God is granting for every believer. First of all, birthrights is a phrase that was first found, discovered in Scripture in the story of Esau and Jacob, where Jacob stole, it said, Esau's birthright. But he didn't steal it. It was given away. Esau had the right to that, And we know that blessings came from the lineage of Jacob. But God had plans that he was to take it in a legitimate way, not an illegitimate way. Instead, he took it in an illegitimate way. And Esau gave it up. There was something that was his. Now, his birthright had to do with the rights of being firstborn. But we have birthrights in the kingdom of God. And he talks of a number of areas where, again, this section, lavishing his affections, his, I'm going to say New Testament, because this is Old Testament, New Testament, lavishing his grace upon up to a thousand generations. Now, to just birthright, definition, possession to which a person is entitled from birth. And to understand maybe this a little bit better, that because the idea of having, we make mention of generational sins, and I don't, there's people, there's, there's entire books written on this stuff. There's people who've conducted ministries around just generational sins, and I don't really get off there. The reason is, is there's too much emphasis on something that's so small, a small portion. But to, to acknowledge that there is something that is linked to generations. You can't miss it because we read it in the scripture. We read of it in Exodus 34, verse 7, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I can find just as many and more scriptures that talk about you are not responsible for your parents' sin. 
because each of us stands to give an account of our sin. So you can't just always say, well, you know, it's because of my mom and dad, I'm, you know, I'm like this, right? You must give an account for what you're doing, the decisions you're making. But there are things that need to be, uh, need to be reclaimed. In our salvation, our salvation granted position, positional authority in Christ. I want to roll this back to a picture because the Old Testament pictures what the New Testament brought about. Go back to the story. Remember the story of the Passover. Remember the story of Moses and the children of Israel? If you remember the story, and if you don't look it up, it's in Exodus uh, I think chapter 12 is where the story takes place. It's at the end of a number of plagues, and God had told Moses and Aaron, and, and you know, set my people free. We're to go out to worship. They were called to leave the land. There was a promised land. They were to inherit the promised land that Abraham had been given. And so the process of a number of miracles takes place. We see that in early Exodus. You get to Exodus chapter 12. It's the last of the big miracles. And it was called the Passover. And the Passover to this day is celebrated by faithful Jewish people. We celebrate it in recognition of, of course, Easter, of recognition of not the Passover there, but the Passover where Christ Jesus came and he became our substitutionary lamb. Uh, so we recognize that. We acknowledge that at Easter time. Every time we partake of communion, we acknowledge it. That's why I don't stop doing it. Let's go back. Exodus. Chapter 12, they were told that they were to take an innocent animal. Remember, it's always the innocent for the guilty. They kill the animal, and the animal's blood was to be used. Now, I will, just follow with me here. What would happen, because this was for every single family, every single person of every single family. This is going to apply to every person in the nation of Israel, every person that... And it could have applied to the people in Egypt too, but nobody did it. It was an application that they were to take the blood. Now, would have it have been enough? Would the Passover had been successful? Would the death angel had passed over? Had they simply killed the animal and blood was shed? Would it have had worked? And the answer was no, because there was two parts to this. You were to take, and they had regulations what animal to take. If, if you were wealthy, you had more. If you didn't have much, you, you had a dove or, or something like that. And they were to take the blood of the animal. And what were they to do with the blood? Tell me. Somebody talk to me. To the doorpost. They were to, and the key word here is apply it. to the. So the blood was not simply blood shed. That's called provisional blood. But the provisional blood had to be applied. When Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross, and rose again... He provisionally made a way that all of us are saved. Provisional. But not everybody is saved. How are you saved? Through faith in Jesus. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So there is provisional. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. Now, I have people, there are people in churches today, people who are proclaiming, you are all saved because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's not true. It's like in the same picture, the animal killed. If the animal laid on the ground back at the Passover and no one took the blood and applied it to the individual homes, notice that it wasn't just applied to Moses' home. It wasn't just applied to the leader's home. 
Therefore, it's applied to the leaders. All of us are under that. Every person was responsible for the application of something already provided, you see. So now here we are. Salvation is the application of what Jesus has done. I receive it by faith. We don't do it the same way they did it in the Old Testament where you do work. I receive it by faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. I acknowledge my sins. I ask his forgiveness of my sins. I surrender my life to his lordship, his mastery, and I ask him to be Lord. I recognize that. And in that, it's now a faith decision. You can read the book of Hebrews, and it goes into much detail about how Hebrews, speaking to the Hebrew people, how he was trying to say, listen, we have done this by measure of faith to what they did in the Old Testament by measure of the law. Now we do it by measure of the faith. But the key here is you had to apply what was provided. So here we are as Christians. We come into faith and living knowledge of Jesus Christ by asking him to forgive us of our sins. But in our lives, there are times in which there continues to be bad fruit. And we can't get past the bad fruit. We ask, we pray, we do what, you know, we know best to do. And some people will come along and say, well, that's just under the blood of Jesus. It's all been looked after. And it has, provisionally. But there, there requires times, not always, but there are things. And these typically are deep-rooted, and I'm going to suggest generational. This is where the generational comes. Generational that has key tagged certain things in your life that you can't get free from. So you go back to that item and you apply his blood there and you'll be free. Now you say I was free when Jesus came into my heart. Yes, but now there are specific, there are, we, we call it, you know, there's a two-part level to sanctification. Justification, all are saved. But now we must then make decisions to walk in godliness. You can't help but when you read through the letters of Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, that they had to walk through their salvation. We say work out their salvation, not by the law, but by applying what was provided. So when we come to generational things, there are things that when the fruit continues to be bad, whatever that is, and I don't want to list, but whatever that we did that last week, you were writing down areas that we were saying, and the Bible says that you need to take an ax to the root of those things. It's not time to prune it. Prune, you prune what's already good to make it better. But you take an ax to the root of an entire tree system if it's bad fruit. You've got to get it out of there. You have to take an ax to the root of it, and the root has to do with the generation. It goes back to the roots. Thus, the three things we talked about last week. And so I just wanted to take a moment to kind of re-explain that, to summarize a little bit. There's a difference between provisional and applied. We have to apply it for it to affect our personal lives. First thing that we talked about was um, uh, when we were conceived, generational sins. And uh, these are tendencies, historic lines, and curses that are passed down. And frequently, in the, the reason it mentions three to four generations is that tends to be the sphere in which we live. I know my grandma, and she would know the great, my, my children. So you tend to, the tendency is the fourth generation. And in that sphere, generational sins are passed through. There are curses that have been passed down, and curses over the family. If we ever did this, and, and there's curses that have spoken, and curses, here's the thing, sin cannot by nature, evaporate. 
It's not like water. Sin can't evaporate. Sin has to be refuted. When sin has been released, it sits there and it's out there and it continues to do its work until a greater power nullifies it. And what's that greater power? We all know what the greater power is. It's Christ. Until Christ nullifies it. But it sits there and it sits there untouched. You can't defeat it. You can't beat sin by sin. You can't beat sin by works. That's why Paul said that when you knew the law, sin came alive. Why? Because you can't defeat it by works. Sin can only be defeated by the power and the, what Christ has provided. So then the idea that, well, I, it'll just leave. It'll just go. It doesn't. It sits there until somebody with authority comes in with the authority of heaven and says, in Jesus' name, in the power of his blood and the authority of his word. Those are the three weapons. Now it goes. Now it goes. Because a greater authority has come against that. We talked about Satan knows all about jurisdictions. And he's good at it. And if you have given him a legal right in your life, that's why people who have addictions, maybe, I've used that as an illustration, and they continue in their addictions. You have given him what you've done. Peter says, don't leave a foothold for the devil. Don't leave the door open. You know, if you don't want your enemy to walk in, if you don't want a burglar to come in in the middle of the night, don't leave your door open with the front light on. Close the door and lock it. He will, they will come in. You're inviting them to come in. What do they tell you the first thing? If your car was broken into, did you lock your doors? Or did you leave it an open invitation for somebody to take, you know, when they checked your door? So you need to close the door, and that was spoken of throughout. And you have this picture that in the church, we need to be doing that. If somebody is involved in addictive sin, there's, don't, don't keep the door open. He has legal jurisdiction. So you bring the power of the blood, the name, the word against him. And apply what is already provided to you through Jesus. Provide. You apply that. And so we, we talked about um, generational sins. We also talked about genetic information. And that's, uh, you know, you might have the nose of your mom. You might have big ears like your dad. You know, whatever the genetic information comes down. We have genetic information. That comes down genetically. And thirdly is the godly heritage. The godly heritage the Lord has inscribed on our birthright before you were born. Because it says here, I have lavished unfailing love for up to a thousand generations on those who love me and obey me. What are you saying? I've lavished, I'm gonna, I've lavished, I've lavished unfailing grace, provision, and application. All of it. You will never run short of his supply of grace. Because the other has, has the power over a few generations, but you will never run shy of the power of what he has granted to come against that. And these are often, they take place through traumatic events, uh, abuses, where there has been abuse in, in, in your life or someone's life, through maybe abandonment or rejection, where you have been hurt, you've been wounded, your, the personality was assaulted. Um, it can come through deaths. And they can... It, there can be an earmarking through deaths, um, dysfunctions of different measures within families. Uh, and they also come through our recorded responses. When something happens, how we responded to that now gets recorded. Our recorded. And so therefore, we might have made a vow. I will never, a vow was made. Now, that stands, stands out. I will never, and whatever that is. And so sometimes the, the situation, the generational root is, has come from your own mouth, has come from the own attitude of your own heart. 
And therefore, you go back to it. The good news is you go back to it, and God will bring freedom by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what we're after today. We're after good fruit. We're after where fruit is growing and it's bad, and you don't know what to do with it, and so you've been putting up with it. You don't have to. I'm saying you don't have to. You can find victory in Christ Jesus. He's provided it. Now let's receive it in Christ Jesus. So if we don't, I call it the debtor's prison. The debtor's prison. Uh, You're in debt to the enemy and you're imprisoned. Uh, You might be a child of God, but the enemy still has that over you. And you live your life with that. And you may pass it down to the next generation again. So I want to take it from personal. We talked personal stuff last week. I'm going to apply this to three other areas. I'm going to talk, first of all, congregational, congregational sins, uh, denominational sins, and I'm going to city or town sins. You can keep applying it to nations as well. I'm going to start with congregational sins. And so every congregation, every church congregation has a birthright. So let's just use Cornerstone. Uh, this congregation is 30 years old. It was just uh, coming up 31 this year. A year ago, we celebrated 30 years as a, a local expression of faith in this community, our church. Uh, different congregations, some congregations are well over 100 years. Some congregations have only been birthed just a few years. Some churches have godly birthrights right from the beginning. And some have ungodly birthrights. Yes, you heard. Some churches have ungodly birthrights. Well, what's the difference? The godly birthright. Some churches were birthed out of rebellion. And they never got repentance and forgiveness. Now, you can still get repentance and forgiveness in the rebellion and be legitimate. But if you haven't received repentance and forgiveness, then there's still an illegitimacy against that, that particular local expression. So a church that, now all of us have been a spinoff of something, right? So we get that. But that spinoff needs to be, the blessing needs to be where you are blessed. You are mothered in that. You are blessed and released to be a church. And so you just don't come up because of anger. I, I will never be a part of that. So we're going to take a bunch of people and we're going to start this over here. Okay, that's an illegitimate start. Because you didn't, you, it didn't happen with a parental blessing. You started out of a spirit of rebellion. And now you can, and I've seen churches do this. I've been a part of churches, not where I pastored, but churches where I've been a part of where they, church, this church, this mother church had churches and they mothered churches, but they also had splits where people with sin broke away. These sinfully pulled away. And in doing so, there was a issue, there was a legal issue against the mother church and a legal issue against the churches that had not, I don't mean legal in the land of Canada, the laws of Canada, but again in heaven. That was being held against both churches. And I've also watched where the churches, and usually it required, it often took place when there was different leadership came into those churches. And the churches were going through the very thing we're talking about right here. They were going, we're not blessed. There's something hindering our blessing. And they began to, what is it? And they began to pray. The intercessors began to pray. And God began to reveal there's something that is, there's, a, there's an outstanding account against you. You need to get forgiveness. Remember if you go to the altar, the, Jesus talking about if you go to the altar and you're giving your offerings, but if you remember you have something against somebody else, you need to go and get that right. Why? Because you can't be blessed in what you're about to do. 
So Lori and I, we gave our tithes this morning. We, we're believing God's blessing upon the church, upon our lives. We give back of our first fruit. We return our tithes, and that means we're protected. God's going to protect us. We guarantee that protection. And then we gave of our offerings. That means we're going to, God's going to bless. There's going to be blessings. Think there's going to be surprises, and we're just going to be blessed. We believe that. But if we do that, and we know there is sin against something else, there's something outstanding, the enemy has a foot, he has a foothold. And that blessing will not come to place. And in that, we have that also within the churches. And so these churches, uh, church I, I grew up in, had that happen. They had a nasty church split, horrible church split. It happened on a Sunday morning. Church was full. And a group of people got up and spoke curses over the building, curses over the congregation, told people to follow them. And the, about half the congregation, could you imagine, half the congregation got up and walked out on that Sunday morning. They turned the lights off. The other half of the congregation sitting there going, what just happened? Families were split. Marriages were broken up. Children were orphaned, no longer knowing where to, because they stopped fellowshipping together. A big hole over this church. A lot of pain, a lot of misery. It's a church I grew up in, a church that I got baptized in, a church that I went to youth group in. It took another pastor of both those groups who said, something's not right. And they began the process of reconciliation asking forgiveness of one another, of what we did to you, even though many of the people were different people at that point in time because the congregations were stopped, stunted, no longer moving forward. A case, a case of a birthright gone wrong, a case of an illegitimate birthright. I want to use an Old Testament illustration of what that looks like when there's an illegitimacy. I'm going to call it the Ishmael church or the Isaac church. Now, some of you are going to recognize those names, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac... Uh, children of Abraham. Abraham was the one who received the promise that there would be a nation, a promised land, that would be God's chosen children. And so, you, if you're going to have your chosen children, you got to have you got to start with children. And Abraham had no children, and so him and Sarah had the promise of a of a of descendants that would be the descendants of God. Years went by. Decades went by. It wasn't happening. Sarah's way beyond childbearing years. I mean, it, it's not going to, naturally, it's not going to happen, yet God had promised. So you remember the story? What did they do? Abraham, they, they got uh, Hagar, was not God's plan, and Ishmael was born. Now, here's the question. Was Ishmael a son of Abraham? Yes. Was Ishmael the promised son? No. Did Ishmael receive a blessing from Abraham? Yes. Did he receive the full promise of God? No. Follow that? The Ishmaelites were so blessed. It's the whole Arab people, meaning blessed that God had a blessing. He didn't forsake his children, never forsakes his children. But they were not the full blessing. There was a disobedience that took place on behalf of Abraham and Sarah. And so there's an Ish, there are Ishmael congregations, there are Ishmael churches, and they're not always birthed that way. They sometimes become that in later years. And there's an illegitimacy, there's, a, there's an Ishmael, there's something that is of a rebellious spirit there, 
and they're not the Isaac church, the Isaac of, of birth, birth out of blessing. And it's why everywhere I've gone, and I did that when I came to Aurora Cornerstone four years ago. One of the first things we did, we brought in the founding pastor. I did it strategically. Bless, bless me, Father. <laughs> He's probably going to kill me when he hears that, Darren. But it was like, bless us. We are your children. And you, we acknowledge and honor you. Not just you, but those who were leadership in that time. And that it was birthed. And, and I'm having conversations in the birthing. How were we birthed? And, and the legitimacy of our birth. And it, you've got cornerstone. We have a great heritage. A lot of places don't in that blessing. But you can forfeit that years later. It can happen years later in the things that take place. And so, likewise, people in churches, we come from varying church backgrounds. And this becomes the foundation of a congregation. Therefore, in Ezekiel chapter 22, 30, God, looking out over the land, said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. What happens is God is looking for people who would pray. I'm going to suggest all of us can do this. But the reality is, is some of us will have a special and unique gifting that there will come an awareness of some things the Holy Spirit will speak to us about in saying, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this. The Holy Spirit lovingly, his, that's him lavishing his love, lovingly says, you can walk in blessing. But right now there's this against you. You've given legal right to the enemy in this area. But you don't have to. And therefore the church, this is what was spoken of, Ezekiel 20. I looked for someone, but nobody was standing up. In other words, prayerlessness. Listen, why do we have to pray? We just don't pray because we're told to pray. We just don't pray uh, to get all our answers to, you know, bless this, bless that, bless this. We pray because God reveals something. And then we need to take the, our position to give heavenly license to do the work that God needs to do. He awaits his children to present it to him. And then that's called the application of faith. And then God moves. And he extends, he lavishes his love up to a thousand generations. And we call on that. In 30 years, the Holy Spirit knows the sins of a congregation. The sins maybe were leaders towards the people or people towards the leadership. The sins of believers to believers. The Holy Spirit knows. And that's why when we pray, we call on God. We say, God, move in this, our land. Move in this among our people. And we begin to call on his name. Each moves in, in areas where we call on God to move in forgiveness so that he might restore his plan, his birthright upon each person. Now, I, I've, met, I've multiple illustrations and I'm going to be very careful. I'm going to be vague. I'm vague for a reason because many people are still alive, a part of the ministries that I have been a part of. And I'm also very well aware that we are also on live stream. We have no idea our audience. But I want to use that because I think these do relate. And I want to use it as points of reference and illustration. I was in a situation in, in church pastoring and someone received a vision from the Lord. And the vision, they shared their vision and shared it with our church leadership that words had been spoken and deeds done towards, and the one part of the vision was towards deacons of previous boards, not the existing board, deacons. 
words spoken and deeds were done that were not of God. And they were left undealt with. It created a hindrance to God answering and what the person was saying. So in the vision, why is this important? Because prayers are being hindered right now. The church took it seriously. The leadership of the church took it seriously. And we began to confess. We began to do as we did last week. We began to ask God for forgiveness as he began to show us things. We began to seek reconciliation to those that had been hurt, asking forgiveness, even though we didn't know those people. But on behalf of, we began to seek, would you forgive me for things that had been done? And we watched God turn that around supernaturally, story after story that I can't share. But story after story of people getting free that had been bound for decades because God revealed something in the heart of a visionary. A part of that period of time also, there were things done against previous pastors. And so Lori and I were privileged because we took seriously, commissioned on behalf of the existing church to go and to present to the pastors forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. And we wept together with them as God brought restoration. Now, what did that happen? We went back and God began to move. It's like the, it's like the rain began to rain again on the church in a whole new, fresh way. Generational sins, sins that were holding, holding hostage the work of God over a congregation. Another situation was a toxic staff environment that left everyone deeply divided and it created a state of combativeness. We began to move in an area of seeking God's direction of what to do with that. We tried natural things and they just never worked. Another related to this was infighting taking place. And, and again, combativeness. And I remember that began to start with, I looked at how Jesus dealt with some of the most difficult situations in his day. And the Lord led us to myself and my assistant pastor in that particular situation on a Sunday morning, communion Sunday, I asked the leadership of the church to come forward. They sat across the front. And myself and my assistant pastor washed the feet, as ceremonially, the first time I've ever done it, washed the feet and just humbled ourselves with regard to the leadership of the church. And the animosity was not this way. The animosity was a generational thing. But we began, and that set in motion a process that would, over a period of time, begin to break down a number of things. Some of the things we saw broken down where there was a board member who in that combative spirit in a meeting, you know, just an anger towards women in the church and leadership, if you could imagine. And this person declared, over my dead body, there will never be a woman in leadership in this church. It was never even an issue, but it was a combativeness that took place. But it was very sad in the Two to three years that follow. It's very sad. This person was a dear friend, became a dear friend of myself. But very sad that I would lay this person to the grave within two to three years of them making that statement. And guess who took their place on the board? A woman. And God began to move mightily in our church. But there was this vow being made. A thing began to full, fulfill itself and yet set in place recognizing we need to apply the things that God had called us to apply. Let me use another illustration. Another person who was very wealthy, who in leaving in a combative spirit brought a curse against our church that we would not prosper and we would not financially succeed and left. Last time I saw them. Saw them a few years later. Very sadly, a few years later, 
they were back in the church. The first time they came back, as far as my knowledge, and they were in my office. And they were asking if I could, as the church, could assist in turning their gas back on because their gas had been turned off and their family was cold and they'd lost everything. And God began to bring, and we did, and God began to bring restoration. There's story over story after story that takes place within congregations. It doesn't on individuals. We talked about that last week. But now congregation, birthrights to the congregation that are carried on. Remember, sin never evaporates. It must be dealt with. You do deal with it in a spirit, first of all, of being aware. And you, how are you aware? God's calling up somebody who will stand in the gap and intercede. And as you intercede, as we begin to pray, God, move by your spirit again in our day. And we begin to cry of God, move by your spirit, and travail, and travail. And sometimes through fasting, as that happens, God begins to reveal, because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on. But he can't find anybody who will stand in the gap. And so I'm saying, yes, Lord, I will. And I know some, yes, Lord, I will. I'll stand in the gap. And maybe things don't happen because we haven't been standing in the gap. And so in congregations, the place of standing in the gap. Repentance means confession until there is healing. Until there is healing. And if it doesn't happen, God will raise up another movement. To take their place. He'll raise up other churches to take their place because they have sinned against him. Secondly, is denominational birthrights. Usually born Isaacs under the full blessing of God, but after numerous generations, there can be things that crept in, never dealt with, and polluted. And so, Another denomination is raised up. Another denomination is raised up. Another de- I remember the first time I became aware that there is literally like a hundred Pentecostal denominations. It just staggered me. Went to a conference one time, Lori and myself, and there was 40 Pentecostal denominations at the conference. Like, how can you have 40? And, and, and typically out of a split, off a split, off a split, off a split, off a split. Uh, it can come through criticism. Again, denominations have birth rates. Come through criticism. Uh, where we bind the hands of God and he raises up another work. Let me give a couple of illustrations here and I'll move on. I recall very clear in my pastoral ministry a time where God asked me a question one day. I had been previously praying as I had virtually every day for the church and there were some areas in leadership I was praying asking God for intervention. And the Lord spoke, and I, again, it's one of the most clear things. I don't have a lot of clear recollections of a lot of stuff, but this one I did. I was sitting at my desk, and I remember the Holy Spirit asking me something to this effect. Son, how faithful have you been in praying for your leadership, your pastors, your denominational leaders? That's what he asked. Now, how many here know that when God asks you a question, he is never seeking information? He's not wondering what the answer is. He's trying to show me something. Son, how much do you pray for your leaders and blessing and their families and their ministry and that God would speak to them and their vision would be clear and wisdom would flow and spiritual wisdom would be crystal clear and the enemy would be put back and the things of the flesh would be thwarted and blessings on their husbands, on their wives, on their sons, on their daughters. How much have you done that, son? And the answer was not very much. And so obviously I knew with the question, there was nothing more from that. It was just a question. But I knew it wasn't a question. 
he was rebuking me. And so I began to pray, and I began to pray, and I began to pray. And I saw as I poured out my heart for them, God answered my prayer over here. As I poured out my heart here, it was a denominational connection. Uh, a situation I was in where two churches I pastored, uh, denominational words of criticism were spoken against these two places. The first place, I remember it was largely between the Catholic and Protestant. And we were in a church, our church was beginning to have outreach in areas and we were just believing and trusting God for things and it was driven by a young generation, the youth generation. And during that period of time, uh, there was sharp rebuke coming from uh, another like Catholic denomination in that particular situation and, and a feud had risen up. And we realized it was over 100 years old and it was aggressive, very aggressive. It, it affected everything in the town began to research and realized this is a generational sin. It's sitting here, just sitting here, and it's not been dealt with yet. Uh, I was, at that time, my children were young. I was a coach of a softball team, a girls' softball team, and pretty well everybody on the team except my daughter was all from the other side. <laughs> and, the, and the priest spoke out and cursed our church said, and cursed anybody who would join that because the Pentecostal pastor was the coach of the team. And we just realized that wasn't coming from a man. This is coming from a generational thing going on. We saw in front of our place half-empty buses picking up one, you know, one, the Catholics, another half-empty, and they wouldn't meet with each other. And there was such a division. We went back and discovered it was historic. It was in the DNA of the town. And so we began to pray about it. And it was revealed in our church. And the intercessors began to pray. We began to talk to our colleagues, began to pray together. Here's the cool thing. Just a few years later, new Catholic priest, and him and I became good friends. A man who was a spirit, born-again man, and we prayed together, we fellowshiped together, we rejoiced together. We saw God break something there in that town. In that town, it was also a, a city thing. I'll talk about that later because we talk about curses over cities. But there was another situation, a different pastor, where... Um, pastor, the church was pastoring, had broke off all relationships with all the other churches, refused to fellowship with the other churches. Something obviously had gone wrong. So we recognized that that's not God's plan. God doesn't see the Pentecostal church. He doesn't see the you know, cornerstone of Aurora. When God looks upon Aurora, he sees the church of Aurora. There's no names, no stripes. Now, we are a fellowship expression, but there's a church, and we know from Cross the churches, those who are seekers and followers of Jesus. He sees the church of Aurora, the church of Newmarket, the church of Oak Ridges, the church of Stouffville, the church. In every community, there's a body, pocket of believers. That's what he sees. You see it through the letters and the, and the epistles. There are churches of regions, and that's how God sees it. Not as denominations. Not that denominations are wrong. But he sees it as an awful. So if we refuse to fellowship, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so, again, generational. And so a part and parcel where we began to pray through that. Not only as our church, but other churches began to pray through that. And it ended with churches getting together to sing together. We began to get together and do activities together. We began to fellowship pastors praying each, over each other. Churches doing acts of kindness for each other. I never saw this before. Where, where a situation where they had a speaker in the church was just struggling. They wanted to do a major campaign. And other churches paying for it. Where do you get that from? And another situation where uh, there was a funeral and the grieving people and the other churches came in and started giving 
for the grieving people for a key leader in that church because of a funeral. Our church was blessed. We had, we were just out in the country, we had a septic tank and our system kept backing up. And, and it was when we did a new building endeavor and, and the system backed up and here it backed up again, came down. There's two inches of sewage all in our basement, cover the entire basement. And it's like, ah, and so, but another church who was a part of this learned of it and they said, we're going to come and we're going to clean up your sewage. They came and they did most of the cleanup before we even knew they were doing it. They were getting there and they were cleaning and helping it. And we just, that fellowship that was taking place was the most amazing thing. But it didn't always, it wasn't always that way. There was the application of the blood of Jesus over some situations that became, that were a curse and that were hindering the God's work in the denomination. Towns, likewise. Towns where there's uh, birthrights for towns and cities. What's the, birth, what's the birthright of, of Aurora? Of one of the first things we did, we came here, we started to read about the history of our town, the history of the community of Newmarket, the history of the region, the birthright of the town, where we are as a town, and the leadership. Uh, there's some leadership things going on in the next little while. How involved are we in the prayer and our involvement in that? Generational sins carry down from generation until God finds somebody who's willing to stand in the gap to build up the wall so he can do his work again. God desires to do that. I want to close with this. There's two kinds of plumbing. I'm not a plumber, but I know this much. There's two kinds of plumbing. There's clean water plumbing and there's dirty water plumbing. Clean water plumbing, illustration, you turn on your tap, clean water. Uh, water to your bathtub, shower, clean water. Illustration of dirty water plumbing is what goes out. Okay, it's the nasties that go out. Goes out your sink. That's dirty water plumbing. Clean water brings it in. It's a whole set of plumbing all of its own. Dirty water takes it out. So what happens when you smell something nasty? Okay. When it begins to build up and it doesn't go out the drain. And it's, it's, it's like messy and it stinks and it's backed up. So what's the solution to that? Is the solution to keep running the clean water? If you keep bringing more clean water, more clean water, you're going to get rid of the nasty. But what happens is it just piles up and gets nastier. You see, oftentimes in churches, listen, oftentimes in churches when something, when there's a curse and it's sitting there, we bring in more speakers, we do more activity, we get more machinery, we do more and more and more, turn the water on, but the thing's not released. Sitting there, sitting there, continues to stink. You wind up the activities, do more, do more. You see somebody else do it, it'll be successful there, so you do it here but it's not because the dirty water plumbing still backed up. So everybody knows, clean out the dirty water plumbing and it looks after itself. Then when the clean comes in, it flows through. And it's true with churches that God build up intercessors, build up believers, build up men and women that we would pray, that we would, Ezekiel 22, we would pray Say, I'm willing to stand in the gap, God. I'm willing to do it for my church, to do it for my denomination, to do it for the town, the city. But God, I stand on behalf of the city. Some of it, this is summertime. As you walk around your blocks, pray for the homes. God, do it for my city. Do it for my city. As well as last week we talked about, it starts with you individually. But once we, the Holy Spirit will reveal things. And then you pray. And the prayer is the same prayer we brought in last week. It's the prayer when you recognize what the Holy Spirit is saying, 
Then you ask for forgiveness. You repent. It always begins with repentance. God, I have sinned against you. Or my fathers have sinned against you. We have, Moses, when he prayed for his people, he never said they sinned against you. He always said, we have sinned against you. It's part of us right now. We have done this. And Lord, forgive us. And then in that, we begin to then confess those things. We break those things. We're applying the blood to those situations. And we just drain of whatever it is. And sometimes it happens instantaneously, and sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it involves one person or it involves a number of people. But we pray and we repent. And we ask God to continue to pour. And we travail. We just don't let it go because it's too important. It's way too important to let it go again. Because as long as the enemy has jurisdiction, he will continue to take it. You have to break it. You break the jurisdiction. But when it's broken, then you renounce your involvement to it. You renounce how whatever brought that about, you're not going to do it anymore. You choose to go a different direction. You close the door on that work of enemy. And then in that, you often are doing acts of kindness. You're doing the things of blessing. You're praying God's fullness is filling. It's all those things. We practice these so many times. I know I had people last week says that sounded like a cleansing stream message. But that's the whole cleansing stream, clean water, dirty water out. It requires both so that God can restore his birthright so he can lavish his love again upon another generation. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.